MSW Media. Hey everyone, this is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's it called again? (laughs) What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Come on now. You want me to run these lines with you? Oh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Here we go, let's do it again. Hey guys, this is Scoot McNary. Uh, I'm I'm on uh, What You're Drinking with Dan Dunn. One more time. Hey guys, this is Scoot McNary. I'm with Dan Dunn on What You're Drinking. Yeah. What are you drinking? What we're drinking. (laughs) What we're drinking. Hold on, hold on. Uh, I'm with Dan Dunn on what do, what are we drinking? What we're drinking. What we're drinking. Hey guys, this is Scoot McNary. I'm on what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Yes, we got it. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, hello there. Howdy. I say howdy because... The theme on today's show is Texas. We got Texas native Scoot McNary, fantastic actor, going to be joining me in just a few minutes. And we're going to be drinking TX whiskey. TX whiskey, short for Texas. It's made in Texas. Okay, that's happening. All right, well, since we're going to be doing Texas, a few thoughts on, on, on the place. It is a... A vast, intimidating area. It's like a fire-breathing dragon tattooed across North America's back. And by contrast, Florida is the you're stupid, Y-O-U-R, stupid tattoo on the continent's ankle. Now, Texas contains multitudes. It's a 10-gallon hat full of contradictions. For decades, there have been disgruntled Texans petitioning the U.S. government to allow the state to secede from the Union What they don't seem to grasp is that the Lone Star State has always existed in a universe all its own. Texas is home to Austin, one of the country's most progressive cities, which is, naturally, the capital. Because the rest of the state is just like Austin, right? Texas is also home to some of the most barefacedly corrupt politicians, as well as its most hilarious. You might think I'm talking about Cancun Ted Cruz, or... That fucking governor, Greg Abbott, Louis Gohmert. I'm talking about Clay Henry, the beer-drinking goat that was mayor of Lajitas for several years in the 1970s. True story. Look it up. Do you know Texas has actually executed more prisoners than any other state in the Union and boasts the city with the highest percentage of gay and lesbian parents in the U.S.? That's San Antonio. Some of the greatest entertainers the world has ever known are Texans, as is Chuck Norris. The Dallas Cowboys are known as America's team, even though every major football fan in America seems to fucking hate them. And Texas has two major league baseball teams, neither of which has ever won the World Series. Without cheating, that is. Yeah, you hear me, Astros. 
without cheating. Anyway, that's my take on Texas. But we'll we'll talk to Scoop McNary about it. Also want to remind you that this Friday, March 25th, we are doing a live recording of what we're drinking with Dan Dunn and friends at the Stand Comedy Club in the heart of Manhattan, New York City, right by Union Square. It's a happy hour show, 6.30 to 7.30, Friday, March 25th. For tickets and information, go to thestandnyc.com. It's going to be a blast. Sponsored by our friends at Hendrix. They got a new gin out, a new expression called Neptunia. We're going to be unveiling that at this show. On the bill with me, comedians Joe DeRosa, Natalie Cuomo, Sean Patton, and Colm Terrell. It's going to be a blast. Got to go gotta get yourself there the stand uh, follow me at the imbiber on instagram and twitter the podcast has a an oft neglected uh, instagram account called wwd underscore podcast there's all that information and before we get to scoot though i want to i got a friend here. i got a friend that wants to come we got some news from a friend of the show fantastic musician makes music like this With me now, a friend of mine, I met him a few years ago at Fantastic Festival in Louisville, Kentucky called Bourbon and Beyond. I think this was the inaugural, I'm trying to put this in the COVID years, because two years we lost to COVID. So I'm guessing it was five years ago? Jesus Christ. Oh man, it flies, brother. Dave it Cavalier. Flies. Dave, how are hello, you, man? Hello, Hey. It's good to check in with you. Yeah, man, it's... It's wild. It has been far too long. But yes, that was the first Bourbon and Beyond. We were the first act for Bourbon and Beyond. That was exciting. This that was, was a was big. A great... It was a big break for you, right? I mean, to get on that big stage, and I mean, the bands that were playing that festival were unbelievable. Yeah, man, that was really interesting. I mean, that was that part in my career where, like, you're kind of you've done more than most, but there was still a lot left to be done. So I think, like getting on that festival bill and just kind of seeing your name alongside a lot of people that you you'd been chasing, you know, for a little bit, I think it was, that was really, really cool. You know, hand out fantastic Negrito is a Grammy winner, ZZ Ward, and then Gary Clark Jr. And Stevie Nicks and fucking buddy guy. Band of horses were on that. And horses, Amos Lee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were some huge, uh, Paul Rogers, G yep. love, my old pal G love, mm-hmm. who I just hung out with the other night in Colorado, which was a lot of fun. Yep. Um, yep. so, but I, I have seen Dave perform many times since he does a, uh, sort of a burlesque rock bluesy kick-ass review <laughs> around town in Los Angeles. He does one over in Santa Monica at the world famous Harvell's. I saw you there recently. That's a, that's a hell of a show. What do you call that show? 
That's blue velvet. Blue, blue velvet. Velvet. That's correct. Yeah, man. That one. That one's. Oh man, that one's a couple of years running now too, which is wild. But it's uh, yeah, fully improvised. You know, we feed the music feeds off the dancers. The dancers feed off the music. You know, every step, every note, nothing's planned ahead of time. So, it's it's really cool because I mean, you've been to a couple at this point. You know, every single one of them has a you know a similar vibe and a similar energy, but it's a different show every time. You know, because oh, we're man. Really people making go it crazy, and it's just it's the perfect fusion of dance and sexiness and music and it's just it's down and dirty harvell's the place for it too i mean that place is just like a nice dark blues bar i mean that's it's it's a vibe people may be familiar with the toledo show uh gus van sant made a movie about it it's a it's been there forever and it's sort of in the vein of that which originated at Harvell. So you're just, yeah. you're, you're continuing the legacy there, even though Toledo show's still going. Now, why I've got Dave on today, besides just loving the guy and him being a stand-up guy, is he's got some new music out. Fuck yes. And I, I want to promote this called The Hold. The Hold, yep, yep. It came out uh, on March 4th. It's the first single, and then we're stoked because uh, Civilian Air, the new album, actually drops on the 18th of March. So, you know, so The Hold has been out. The reviews have been incredible so far. I mean, I, I feel really, really grateful. It's like I paid some of these writers off, which I didn't have to this time, which is nice. <laughs> and by the way, by the time this episode drops, the record will have been out already. It will yep. have already been released. You can get it everywhere, all the streaming places. I mean, would people buy music anymore? Does that even happen? It's just streaming it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably just streaming it, you know. I mean, unless you release on vinyl. This one, I don't think we're going to do on vinyl, you know what I mean? But if anybody, you know, if anybody wants one. They will find me one. whip one up for you in this lab. Uh, here, let's <laughs> let's check out a little bit of the hold right here. Don't got a hold on me, can't get a hold on you. Wow, dude, that kicks some ass. I'm loving it. I'm loving the sound. Uh, I appreciate it. So you, you and I met at a bourbon festival, Bourbon Beyond Whiskey Festival. You've got that vibe going. I want to ask you, and we'll share together. What are your top Mm -hmm. five? Just off the cuff, you don't have to put two. The top five whiskey songs ever yeah Just whiskey fueled boozy songs go ahead throw a couple out if you can go I mean, five okay when when i think about it and i don't remember which song it was now but you remember that that blues brothers scene where they're in like the honky tonk and the beer bottles are all flying yes you know what i'm saying like when they're on the run and everything i whenever i think of like a whiskey fueled song environment ever like that's kind of visually what i see so whatever track they were doing there for sure uh i mean John Lee Hooker, you know, one bourbon, one scotch, yeah, one beer. That's a good. That's one. a classic for sure. I think you can you can probably knock off a couple with Chris Stapleton, who I love. Okay, get, you know, let's go. Uh, Tennessee uh, whiskey. Okay. Um, I think you know whiskey and you is also. I think. I mean, I I, I fucking love that song. Okay. I mean, that's the difference between whiskey and you. You know, I mean, he does. He paints that whole picture just incredible by the way just to go back this weren't they doing were they doing the theme from rawhide when they were throwing the shit rawhide yeah that was what they were yeah. doing in the blues brothers i was like all right what Everyone was it? loses their <laughs> fucking minds coming yeah. back to okay go ahead what else we got 
Uh, man, what's the last, you know, to try to do a newer one, I guess, because, you know, it's funny when I think of whiskey songs, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's plenty of other ones, but, but country is the only one that seems to make the most, you know, joy out of it. You know, everybody else is always bottom on a bottle, a bottom of a bottle, but, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a massive, like little big town fan or anything, but they came out with a track, uh, wine, beer and whiskey that I remember was so cool. Like I caught it when it came on the radio and it was like, it's got like these mariachi type horn vibes, like kind of okay. really wine, raw beer, and whiskey, a wine, beer, whiskey. All right. Well, let me see. I would go now. I, I preface this by saying this is the list made by a, uh, you know, uh, getting on in his years, white guy doesn't listen to a lot of rap, doesn't <laughs> listen to a lot of country. I'm going to say it right now. I would like to be more inclusive. I just don't listen to it. So it's not going to be on my list that much. I will sure. say this. I will second you on Tennessee Whiskey by Chris Stapleton. I That's yep. just an amazing song. I would so go good. again, one bourbon, one scotch and one beer. John Lee Hooker originally wrote it. His version is amazing. And then our boy yep. Lonesome George Thorogood did an amazing yeah. version of that as well. I would also add in the Alabama song by the Doors. Mm. Yep. Well, show me the way. That one. Here's a little wild card. This one's about a lot of different drinks, but they do have a line in there that says, my, my glass is getting shorter on whiskey, ice, and water. That would be have a drink on me. By ACDC. Yes, yes. I, w- I knew ACDC had to have one in there they somewhere. They did, yeah. And then to keep up my cred, my... Uh, my oh, please my, do. My, my post-punk cred, I would go Streams <laughs> of Whiskey by the Pogues. The Pogues, oh, from the yes. Po- of course, of course. Gotta get well, a I feel like, especially, now. you know, coming up now on the St. Patty's holiday, which again, we'll probably... Which we're missing. Know, which Dave, Dave doesn't understand yes. the concept that we're recording. Uh, no, of course they do. Night. You do, of course. St. Patty's Day will be long gone by the time this episode aired, my friend. You'll, the hangovers the hangover will, still, will, be will done. still abound. <laughs> so tell the we get we can get the record. Where can we get it again? Everywhere. Name of the Across record again. Across all streaming platforms: uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, wherever you know, wherever the things are now. YouTube What's the name music, of it again? Uh, Civilian Air. Civilian Air is the name of the new album. The hold is the single. Um, there's going to be a music video uh, dropping. It'll be on YouTube and available by the time this is out as well. So um, I hope everyone checks it out. It's a very very cool music video. It's the first one we did. It was animated which is uh, a new thing for me. So that was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, really excited about it. Um, it's some of the best work I think I've done. And um, I just I just want to get it out in the world, man. Dave Cavalier is a not only a fine human being, incredible musician. Check out Civilian Air. It's everywhere. Music, streams, or is bought. But don't look for the vinyl. There's no vinyl. You can get the vinyl. And The Hold is the is the new single we just heard some of it earlier it's a jam dave always good to see you my brother oh where do people find you on the social media uh just find me on instagram you know dave cavalier i think there's you know there's a hundred other platforms that you can probably track it all down but i think that's the easiest one so just add dave cavalier find me there and uh you know you can do everything else you finally got rid of that myspace account i mean tom was the hardest friend i've ever had to break up with but you know Wait, wasn't Tom Twitter? Isn't Tom? Isn't Tom Twitter? (laughs) Tom, 
I don't know. Is Tom, Tom MySpace? I'm sure he's probably, Tom's definitely MySpace. Okay. Definitely MySpace. But, but MySpace was cool in that you could have, you could showcase all your stuff on MySpace. You could have your oh, music man. up you there. You get your HTML game your on shirtless, there. Your shirtless pictures. Your, your, oh, yeah. All kinds of oh, shit yeah, on man. there. I, I think I might bring that For back. sure. There was, there was definitely, you know, there's definitely some, uh, you know, some MySpace connections, some new digital friends that were made along the way, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's code for Dave Bang some women on MySpace. No, I'm just joking. I'm cutting. I'll cut that part right out. I know you're a new father, <laughs> sure <you> <laughs> husband. Enough of that nonsense. You're domesticated now, passed. my friend. Yes, um, Dave Cavalier, everybody. Always great seeing you, Thanks, buddy. Man. You too, brother. Appreciate you. As anyone who pays even the slightest bit of attention to me knows, Fresh Victor is my favorite mixer brand in the world. You know what? Screw it. It's my favorite in all the universe. They make 100% fresh, juice-based, cold-pressed, preservative-free, refrigerator-worthy cocktail mixers. All their ingredients are real, they're all recognizable, easy to pronounce. Lime, mint, ginger. See what I mean? Easy. Fresh Victor mixers are kosher, non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and light on calories. Although they don't taste like it. Their seven award-winning flavors mix deliciously with any spirit, wine, or sparkling water. Not only does Fresh Victor live and breathe sustainable practices, but they champion them. All their ingredients are fair trade, the packaging is recyclable, and the juicing plant is 100% solar. You get the drift. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a pretty juicy deal to my listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20. Get 20% off your order. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market. And that's Fresh Victor. What are we drinking? Oh, hell yeah. Batiste Rum. You know what I'm talking about? I friggin' love this brand. Batiste Rum is the first sustainable American craft rum. What's that mean? Well, it means that Batiste's proprietary production process from ground to bottle has been rigorously reviewed and validated as being carbon negative. It's the only known beverage alcohol in the world to have a climate-positive natural production process without the purchase of carbon offsets. Okay, you're probably still like, yeah, but what's that mean? <laughs> it means you can feel good about drinking it, my friends. Batiste rum is made from 100% pure fresh cane juice, not molasses or sugar crystals. Most importantly, it's an incredibly damn delicious rum to be enjoyed neat or in cocktails. And Batiste rum has not one but two kick-ass offers for my listeners. That's you. Go to BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code WWD15 at checkout to get 15% off all orders. But if you want their delicious reserve rum, you can enter code RESERVE get 20% off. Batiste Rum is the absolute shiz. Proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. <laughs> Joining me now, an actor whose work I have great admiration for, known for roles in such films as Argo, Killing Them Softly, 12 Years a Slave, Gone Girl, Batman versus Superman. Those kids will not stop fighting. 
And then on the TV, he starred in uh, Halt and Catch Fire, great show on AMC, True Detective, we're going to get into that, Narcos Mexico, and the Net, uh, Netflix Western miniseries Godless. And now he's partnered up with the fine folks from TX Whiskey, help spread the word about this award-winning hooch from Fort Worth, Texas. Happy to have him on board, Scoot McNary. Scoot, how are you? I'm good, Dan. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. It, it's really nice to meet you. I, I have, I mean, I've been a fan for uh, for a while, and I, I want to get into this whiskey with you. But first, I, I think I want to get to the th- the heart. Like you've nailed it as an actor in an array of great films and TV shows. Just mention them. I want to start by asking you about one of your most iconic roles. Talking about, of course, the Nestle commercial in which you played a dude at the zoo watching chimpanzees fuck. Okay, can we talk about this a little bit? Yeah, man. I, I You know, I, I remember that vividly. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was Radical Media was the production. I believe that the commercial was for a European company or Nestle Europe. Um, and the director was a guy named Barton. I'm forgetting Barton's last name, but he was an uh, ad exec turn uh, commercial director. When we were shooting that, I, you know, I, I, the only person that was really laughing every take was Barton, the director. Everybody else was kind of like, uh, like what, what, you know, um, it was really funny, but as the day went on, you know, it became less and less funny. Um, but yeah, we showed up to LA zoo and Barton ended up winning, a he won some award for it, like a commercial award for it at Cannes or something. Cannes, yeah. I saw. I mean, it was it. It just scoot eating this ch- chocolate, and there's two <laughs> monkeys fucking in the yeah. zoo, and you kept going uh, or something like Beavis and Butthead esque. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the audition. Like when you went in, the, the Marty was the casting guy. He just played this tape of somebody going. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, all you had to do was just repeat it. I mean, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't too entailed in regards to getting that job. Um, I guess I was one of the few that could go. <laughs> well, you know, I joke, I kid about this, but at the same time, I was recently rewatching Six Feet Under. You're in it. There's a small part you play, there's a producer, and you were trying to get a part in a movie, and you're freaking out because you didn't get it, and you have to be subdued. Do you ever look back at those things, those those one? Because that's another step on the rung as you're trying to go fondly at those memories. Um, you know, I, if I had to be honest, I I don't. I rarely like look back. Um, I may watch a movie I was in once, usually at a film festival or maybe the premiere, but I don't. I don't. I no. I don't like. I mean, talking about it now, I definitely reminisce on it when it's brought up, but I, I don't. I have a real, I feel like I have a really good method of just looking forward. Well, I, I watched actually last night, I, I watched Killing Them Softly. Is it accurate to say that that movie kind of sets you on the trajectory that you're on now? It's a movie with uh, Brad Pitt, the late James Gandolfini was in it. Uh, actually, a bunch of people from The Sopranos. Johnny Sack from The Sopranos uh, is in that. And uh, Richard Jenkins. Yeah, oh, Richard. That was, that's right, Richard Jenkins, the great Richard. Is that the movie that sort of puts you on the map a little bit? 
I, 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 in my mind, yeah, hundred percent. I have been pounding the pavement doing commercials for almost a decade. I was picking up some guest stars on some TV shows here and there, um, and shooting like a lot of uh, not low budget independent films, no budget independent films. It was just you and your buddies and the cameras. And um, I had been up for a couple studio jobs before this. Uh, you, you, I won't mention what they were, but. The studio had just said, you know, no, we're not hiring. We don't know who this kid is. No. And so I, getting onto a larger film just felt next to impossible. When that uh, audition came along or that opportunity, you know, all through the entire process from when I started it to even till I ended it, I never believed that I got the job or that was going to get the job. I just always thought that no matter how far I got through the auditioning process, I was never going to get approved by a studio. And uh, I, I remember even saying that to uh, Didi, one of the, she was, you know, after the, I guess, second or third meeting with them or casting, they had said, uh, well, do you want this job? And yes, yeah, I want this job. So I'm jumping through hoops to get it. Um, and they're like, well, we want to give it to you. And I remember saying to them, well, before you say that, just call the studio and ask them first. And they're like, no, we, we just got to get approval from Brad. And I was like, well, then get your approval before you, because, you know, and even they called me that night that you like, you got the job. And I had to fly back to Utah for uh, the Sundance Film Festival was going on. And, and uh, they're like, you got the job. I still didn't believe them. I was just like, something will happen over the next couple of weeks. Well, the movie will lose financing, just something. So I was elated to to be able to get that job, get on that movie. And also Andrew Dominic, I was a huge fan of his movie. Um, Jesse you know, James. The, and the coward, uh, Robert Ford. And so, I, you know, I can't tell. I mean, I sort of curbed my en- enthusiasm, so to speak, for – for the for when I got the opportunity, but like yes, in the back of my mind, I was I was I was I was elated to get that job. But you know, then it took two years for that thing to come out. Well, and and this is the thing: I grew up. You grew up in Texas. I grew up in Philly. We weren't around this business. Certainly, I certainly wasn't coming up. There is this notion that's put forth in certain circles, like why don't you just actors? Oh, what do actors? And this is what I always say: to me, actors are some of the the strongest willed, toughest people I know. And I really genuinely mean that because what other job do you just constantly get the shit kicked out of you walking into a room and they'll just look at you and go, no, no. And people don't understand. They look at Scoop McNary. Now this guy's killing it. You probably got told no a thousand times. And it hurts. And, and that, that, that's where that mentality probably comes from. Where like, there's no way this is going to happen for me because all they've been telling me is no. Yeah. I mean, I was, I've been laughed out of rooms, told to go home. Uh, there was a large agency I met out here that told me I had no business being in this town. And I met another very large management firm that told me I needed to fix my speech and get surgery and, um, it's fucking brutal, man. <laughs> yeah, you just gotta like <laughs> stick to your guns, move forward, but have fun. Have a lot of fun in the process because it is a beating. Um, I grew up with learning differences, so like me being told no or you can't do something or you're not good enough, 
uh, or not being told it, just the feeling of it was very common to me. So I remember having friends that would not, you know, their casting back in our early 20s, casting wouldn't go so well. And, you know, they'd crawl into a hole for a month. You know, somebody told me I didn't get a job. I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll audition for another one this week, you know, and when you audition so much doing commercials, you're auditioning six or seven times a week for a guest star or a commercial or you're auditioning so much. You just don't think about it anymore. You just kind of, that's your job. You're an auditioner. And when you talk about your learn, you dyslexia is what you suffered from dyslexia, correct? That's, that's correct. Yeah. And what is that like as a child coming up? And do you, is there self-loathing associate? Like what's wrong with me? Like what's going on there? No, every, 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 there's so many different forms of, of dyslexia. Um, some can be heightened into sort of uh, cognitive thinking for mathematics, and some could be lower in that area. Some cannot spell or have a hard time reading. Um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. Like some people learn by watching, some people learn by hearing, and some people, some dyslexia um, kids learn by touching. That that part of it wasn't the part that I think I wrestled with most was like, what's wrong with me? I feel normal. I feel fine. I play on the soccer team with everybody. I play with all the kids after school. And but why now do I have to go to this other school on the other side of town? Because I went to a school for the dyslexic, a really, you know, now one of the top dyslexia schools in the country. It wasn't at the time. But this idea, and you also, you're in school with other kids that are dyslexic that are having struggles with certain different areas. Um, y- you do kind of scratch your head, like, what's, what's, what's going on with me? And, and you're told, too, you're going to have to work harder in school. You're going to have to work harder at life. You, you just got to get that into your brain. You're going to have to work a little harder than everybody. But um, if you enter, a, they did, you know, hammer into us. If you enter into a creative space, you will be able to think outside of a box that most people are confined to. That is a, a, a privilege and a curse. Sure. It's a privilege to be able to think outside the box, and it's a curse to try and convince somebody to think outside of the box or to, 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 to be able to communicate th- that side of your brain. Um, that being said, uh, it's, 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 it's helped me in, 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 in different ways. And it's, and it's, it's been a struggle or a hurdle in, in different ways too. Um, memorizing lines is something that was oddly enough, like really difficult for me. And I, and it wasn't that I, I could memorize the lines, but to know the lines so well that you didn't have to think of them took me 10 times longer than most people. I remember one actor I worked with, he memorized a three-page scene on the way to work, you know, and I was just like, man, like, that would be... And I read that you actually, this is interesting, you run lines with yourself. You record yourself doing the other person, which, first of all, very considerate. I would say that right up front because I live here, too, in L.A., and I don't know if there's anything more dispiriting, and even if if it's a friend or an acquaintance, than when they ask that question, hey, man, will you read my screenplay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, I I can imagine running the lines is the same thing. Hey, I'm doing this Nestle commercial where these chimpanzees fuck. Will you you run these lines with me? It's like, "Ah, I don't know. Yeah, or like, you know, you you read my script. It's like, sure, will you come mow my yard while (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Scoot, I write, so I've written, published several books. I've had people I don't, I barely know, reach out and go, hey, man, I'm, I'm writing a novel. 
would you read it and give me notes? I'm like, read your <laughs> novel? Like, who are you? I met you at a party in Venice the other night. I read your novel and give you notes. No, what is this? The flip, the flip to that is, is somebody could, you know, I don't know, at a restaurant, wherever, smuggle you a, a script or a screenplay. The problem is, is that I'm afraid it might be good. And so I will like go home and read it just to be, just in case. You don't want to miss out on that part years later. Fuck, that guy offered me that script to read. Damn it. Oh, man. Well, I just, it is interesting though. When I watched this interview with you, we were talking about, you record the other person, the line that you're reacting to, and you leave the space in there to react to it. That's unusual. I don't know. I've never heard, like, what started you doing that? You know, uh, I, I think it's, I, I mean, I don't know that it's that unusual. I, I, I don't know how the younger generation is doing it, but I mean, you know, Aaron Paul, the, one of the actors from Breaking Bad, he was a good buddy of mine and we kind of came up together. And I remember when I, he saw me doing it, he said the same thing. He had been doing it for years before that as well. So I, at that time, I kind of didn't think it was that uncommon, but also to me and Aaron, one of the few actors when we were 24 years old that would go into our auditions completely off book or memorized which a lot of not a lot some kids didn't do that they you know read it off the page and whatnot so I had to memorize it because if I looked down at the page and had to start reading everything just went out the door it was a very obvious like stop you know it wasn't uh I couldn't make it fluid I just if I had the paper in my hand I was going to look at it and if I didn't I wasn't you uh it's funny you mentioned Aaron Paul I uh, I've had Brian Cranston on the show because they've got the Dos Hombres Mezcal. And that was one of those instances. I re- re- relayed this story to Brian. We were in Philadelphia back at the 2016 Democratic National Convention. We happened to be in the same restaurant together. And I had just done a, a signing of my book, American Wino. And my friend's there. And she says, Brian Cranston. She goes, what if I give him your book? And I said, no, <laughs> no. No, you're not going to do that. She goes, no, no, I'll just say it's my friend's book. And no, 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 no. He's at the dinner with his wife. She goes, all right, what if I carry it and I drop it? Just drop it right by the table. <laughs> so what? I go, what do you think happens then? He picks this book up off the floor. Goes, oh, this looks interesting. I'll read it. Tracks me down. And then we're making the movie. That's not how it works. Um, okay. I want to I wanna go back more a little bit on the movie stuff, but I do want to talk about TX Whiskey. This is a brand that was established about 12 years ago, 2010, by a couple of uh, Leonard Firestone and Troy Robertson. It's located in Fort Worth, Texas. You are from Dallas, Texas originally, right? That's correct. Yeah, Dallas, Texas, born and raised. So this brand comes out, they, they come out with their first whiskey back in 2012. It's a blended whiskey. And they get double gold and best American craft whiskey at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Regular listeners to this program know yours truly used to be a judge at San Francisco World Spirits Competition before I decided, you know, I don't want to judge people anymore. I just don't want it, you know, not to their face, behind their back. Um, but it's so that it's a big, this thing comes right out of the gate. It's hot. How do you get involved with TX Whiskey? Um, you know, they reached out to me, I don't know, must have it, a while back. I feel like it was probably seven or eight months ago just to start, you know, the conversations and the idea of it. And I hadn't been really, I'm not an Instagrammer. I'm not an influencer. I don't have any social media accounts. So, you know, not very many people sort of reach out to me in regards to, to branding. So I, uh, 
and also I'm usually some of the stuff that had reached out that I, I wasn't necessarily interested in it. Um, I, I don't know why it was about Texas whiskey other than the fact that it's from Texas and I wanted to feel like I was branding myself with something that was associated with my roots um, and what better company to, to do so. But on top of that, having had the whiskey, it was really good. I mean, it wasn't a bad, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was putting my name on, on just some, some, some bottle. The, the whiskey's really good. It's really smooth. Um, anyway, so we were in talks about that and, you know, uh, back and forth and the concepts they had for the commercials and the, the idea before it, uh, or idea for it. And it seemed all really great, great group of people down to the marketing team, to all the guys at Texas whiskey and women at Texas whiskey. It was just all in all, it was a great company to get involved with just not necessarily just because of the thing, but, but also because of the people that were involved. I really liked everybody that was behind this and the team that I was working with. They were all just so great and creative and nice and just really fun and easy to work with. I would describe, I was having some last night. It's, it's very approachable. It's a, it's a whiskey that you don't have to be a hardcore whiskey drinker to connect with this spirit and I would absolutely recommend this to somebody who's like, all right, I, I want to, I really want to get into whiskey, but I, I, I don't want to get knocked over the first time I do yeah. it. That's, I think this is an ideal whiskey for that. It is. It doesn't have too much uh, burn. It doesn't have too much bite. Um, it, it, it's something that if you, you have it over ice and it gets a hair diluted, it's, it's really good, neat. It's really good on ice. Uh, they sent out some of the, ranch water and stuff different elixirs and stuff to make with it but i personally just think it's really good with on ice do you, have you been a whiskey drinker uh was that the thing for you or just i, I you know it's, it's funny i was like all through my 20s and sort of followed it and blanton's and and uh you know just a i you know sampled everything lafroig um woodford reserve but i stopped drinking uh whiskey probably almost i don't know eight nine years ago or something like that. And now when I've come back to it, I'll have like a half a glass or a glass with ice and just sip it. And that's usually all I'll have. And I've just, you know, and it's usually be honest with you, Texas whiskey got me gotcha drinking. Going again. When I mentioned to a friend that you were going to be on, we were watching uh, the uh, uh, Jesus killing him softly. I mentioned, you know, going to be on the show. She said, he looks like a guy that drinks whiskey. And then, and, and then she said, kind of like Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? That's true. Like we look at Harry Dean Stanton, you go, that guy's had some whiskey in his life. I don't, I don't think she, she mean it like you're a hack, but it's just like certain guys have that sort of, yeah, I've been around the block a couple times. You get, you give off that vibe. I call them the whiskey wrinkles from smiling. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. The whiskey wrinkles. Oh, that guy's had some whiskey. He's had some good times in his life. He's got some wrinkles from it. Yeah. I uh, I was also watching, uh, caught up on a little bit of Argo. You were in Argo. You have a, a really fantastic scene in airport where you're communicating with your would-be captors in in Persian, right? You learned yeah, it. Yeah, in Farsi. In Farsi, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You learned it. Uh, I didn't learn Farsi. Absolutely not. You learned those lines. <laughs> any confusion there. 
Um, I had learned some Farsi for the film, uh, mostly, you know, some of my lines and I learned it uh, phonetically. You know, I sort of wrote it out the way it sounded and not the words and sort of memorized it that way. That particular scene, though, uh, Ben Affleck, the director, was he brought that to me that morning and he said, you know, that long speech you have at the airport where you get everybody out of there. He's like, can you do it in Farsi? And I was like, maybe if you'd have told me this two weeks ago, you, you know, but it's, it, we're shooting that this afternoon. And uh, so I just, you know, made some poster boards, put myself in a corner for about four hours and just did the best I could. And uh, uh, some of that was fixed in post uh, with looping. Okay. But uh, yeah. Powerful uh, scene. Thank you. You've worked with Brad Pitt and Ben Affleck numerous times. Say you and I go out and we're sitting on one side of the bar and those two are sitting on the other side of the bar. <laughs> we got any chance with the ladies? But no. Do you think people look at us and go, oh, those two guys over there? Yeah. I think they look at us and say, hey, look at those two guys looking at those other two guys over there. <laughs> That's what they say. These two guys don't stop staring at these other two guys. <laughs> I'm watching Killing Them Softly last night. I'm going, damn, Brad Pitt is maybe the best looking guy that's ever lived. Possibly. Even when he's playing like a rugged killer, which is what he plays in this. He's a hitman. I mean, that and probably one of the coolest guys you ever met, too. You almost want him to kill you in the movie. You're like, yeah, someone's going to kill me. It should be this good looking motherfucker over here. Uh, Cool dude, too, right? Great guy. Really cool guy. Super down to earth. Super down to earth and just gracious and you know what I mean? Just cool. He is everything that we think he is. And I mean, there's not much he's hiding, you know, he's just a super chill, really great actor. Uh, you know, and all the stuff that their company plan B, I mean, they only make movies that, you know, sort of try to change the, put a mirror on the world and sort of help make change in the world. So, I mean, the, the guy's just, he's just awesome. You know what I mean? It's, it's no wonder he's a movie star. It, it, you, you meet him and it all, it, it makes so much sense. Well, earlier you taught, you mentioned how that movie played a critical role in, in sort of elevating you to, to getting the bigger roles. There's a, a pivotal scene in that movie where, where Scoot and, and Brad Pitt's character are in a, in a bar and Brad Pitt is coming in and, and there's a real menace going on there. It's such a well-acted scene. Like, it all just plays perfectly your sense of dread and also confusion about what you are going to do in this situation because it's literally a life-and-death situation. When you talk about not believing, like, that you got that part, when you're in it, though, you're not sitting there. There's no... Is there a part of you that's like, oh my god, I'm I'm next to Brad Pitt, and we're actually doing this, or you're you're just you're in it at that part, you're not even thinking that way? No, like uh, there was this uh, during the production of it. You know, once I got there, I was super focused. It was my first big job, and and you know, they're like, do you want to meet Brad? And and I sort of opted out to say, you know what, I do, and no disrespect to him or anything, but. I'd rather take all this sort of anxiety and stuff that I have or, or, or fear and, and, and not meet him and just go into this scene having not met. So we shot that scene over the course of two days. Um, I have to stop though and give a lot, almost all the credit to, to Andrew Dominic. 
uh, the director. I mean, he went through that scene piece by piece, emotion by emotion, tone by tone, uh, so methodically and, and, and detailed that again, we shot the scene over the course of two days and the first whole day we didn't talk, say anything. And I, after the, I think it was a risk before lunch after the second day of shooting, you know, Brad was like, Scoot, I can't do this anymore, man. I, I, like, let's hang out. And he slapped me on the back and, you know, and, and, and we started hanging out and chatting, chatting then. But, um, you know, I think a lot of that was Andrew, you know, being tedious about how he was, you know, shaping that scene as well as a lot of my own fears and stuff you're sort of seeing on the, on the screen. Well, it, it, there's such a contrast in, in the film and, and I recommend everybody watch it earlier. There's scenes where you're playing next to Ben Mendelsohn and you are kind of the dominant sort of the type a figure in that relationship and to watch your character go from that to when when brad pitt's character comes in the shift is is palpable you know and and it it really really did a great job there man well i appreciate that working with ben mendelson there is never a dull moment um when the cameras are rolling and when they're not rolling uh the guy, I mean, personally, I think he's even more entertaining when the cameras are off than he is when they're on. Um, he's just so much fun to be around, so loving, so unpredictable, and just like a, a, a incredible actor. But, um, you know, again, like that was just me and Ben. I mean, we would sort of, we were living together during that movie in a house in the French Quarter and you know, we'd be bickering about something at work, get in the car, we'd drive ourselves to work, bicker the whole time at work, I mean, on the way to work, and then get to work and bicker in the scene, you know? Um, so there was just no, like, real uh, cut line between, like, when we were working and when we weren't working. Now, one more on the whiskey here. I know you said you like it neat or on, or on the rocks. Do you do whiskey cocktails? Uh, I do, like, if I go to dinner, you know what I mean? I'm just not that big of a drinker that big of a drinker anymore. I, I, you know, when I go out and have a meal or something like that, but you know, I go three, four, five, six weeks without having a drink or anything like that. I, I, I definitely drink more so for the, for the taste than I do for the feeling. So what do you got coming up? I, I, you, you just did uh, the Mike Mills movie, right? Come on, come on. Yeah. Mike Mills. Come on, come on. Awesome. Incredible film. Like probably definitely one of my top favorites that I've been a part of. Um, just a beautiful film and working with my, Mike put me in my first commercial uh, for Levi's where I get thrown off of a mechanical bull. That was my first commercial I ever did in Los Angeles. And so, you know, to circle back with him almost 19 years later and, and being one of his films was, was, was incredible. Um, I have another movie uh, coming out. Mike Barker directed uh, with uh, Mila Kunis called The Luckiest Girl Alive. I'm not sure when they're they're releasing that. And then off to go work on a, another film right now. I, I hesitate to say because if you talk about it too much, the film ends up going away. Or so, but I'm heading off in about four weeks to do something that I'll circle back with you on. Didn't you do something with Javier? Javier. Yes, Bardem as well, right? Lyle Lyle Crocodile? Yeah, uh, Lyle Lyle uh, Crocodile with uh, Will Speck and Josh, Josh Gordon turned this children's book, Lyle Lyle Crocodile, uh, uh, The Prems on 88th Street, 
and to a beautiful sort of fantastical, magical musical. And uh, Javier Bardem uh, is, you know, streamlining us or, or headlining the, the the project. And and I don't want to talk too much about that either, but that should look like a November release date. Scoot McNary, a real pleasure, man, having having you on this program with us. I would wish you the best, but it's already seems like it's coming your way, my friend. And that's great. And uh, again, thanks for spending the time with us. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks so much. I'd love to come back on the show anytime in person next time. And now a word from one of our dream sponsors, Harvey's Bristol Cream, circa 1979. David, would you like to come over for a drink tonight? Kate. I can't believe I wrote that. I'm glad you did. Until recently, I'd never have invited a man over for a drink. It wasn't considered respectable. But this is now. And when you're serving Harvey's Bristol Cream, it's more than respectable. It's downright upright. Harvey's Bristol Cream. Say, David, are you free Tuesday? (laughs) That's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. I want to thank Dave Cavalier for joining us, the great Scoop McNary for being on the show. Find folks at TX Whiskey. Go check it out. It's good stuff. You're going to love that ooch. Again, reminder, Friday, March 25th, live. We're doing the show live at The Stand, New York City. Tickets available at thestandnyc.com. Thank you, as always, for being part of this. I know you got a lot of options for spending time with me. And that makes me feel special. Doesn't it, Dave Cavalier? You got hold on me, can't get hold on me.